Podcast ain't play nobody. It's always a good show when I get to open up with an overt comic book reference. Bill, wow. the secret to Kansas State is they're always angry. <laughs> yes, yes, they are. I um, I, I'm I'm happy to have ex- to to that that more of the the world gets to experience the insecurity that is the Kansas State fan base. I say this with admiration because they are the only fan base I know of more insecure than Missouri's. So I, I kind of, I feel like I know of what I speak right now. Um, it is awe-inspiring, uh, the, 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 the spinning that goes on inside uh, the brain of the average Kansas State fan. Uh, and now the world has gotten to experience it. Um, so here's the deal. <laughs> Bill, take a note. Um, if we had an archivist, or just if you can take a note, just hire archivist, okay? We would, uh, I think, certainly be able to find a clip in which you and I were talking about this, either the, before the season, before the silly season, at some point maybe during the K, like the K State preview of I don't know the last two or three years of the, the S and P Plus countdown, when Billiam Snyder was actually going to retire, and I still don't believe it's happened. I mean, like if 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 like next year he's coaching game six, I wouldn't I wouldn't blink at all. Um, but so we said when he would retire. I'm almost certain we have this audio clip. Just don't have the means by which to to repossess it. I said, and you agreed with me, that no matter what they do, this was going to happen. And so I want to give a little clemency to K State fans because I understand it completely right now. Um, normally these angsty, angry uh, backlash moments on coaching hires or, or yelling at the media or whatever. They all have different sort of stakes and context and flavor, right? Everybody remembers Tennessee last year. This is different. This is totally different. And I I kind of think it's justified, not because of the football parts. They're totally unjustified in the football <laughs> parts, right? We'll get to that in a second. But you had one coach that made you good in your history. And, and to wit, you had that coach leave for a couple years, and you sucked, and he came back, and he made you good again. So psychologically, I don't think there was ever a shot for the next K-State hire to be, I don't know, embraced? Yeah, and it, it was made even more complicated by the fact that they didn't have, you know, all the Sean Snyder rumors that have been floating for years. They didn't want that either, so... They're really, I think the insecurity, a lot of it stems from the simple fact that they, they know that only one guy has ever made them good, um, and he's gone, and they wanted him gone, uh, and they didn't replace him with Nick Saban. And so, um, well, I think there, there's that, and then there's just a general sense of, you know, in the conference realignment era, the, like with the Big 12's future never, ever, ever certain, I do think there's a little insecurity stemming from the fact that, oh, God, what if we fall apart in football right now and, you know, the Big 12 doesn't exist in 10 years and some of the t- and some of those programs go to, like, the Conference USA or Mountain West or whatever. And so I think there is this doomsday scenario that is just kind of sitting in the back of Kansas State fans' heads. And I say this, again, uh, with, with somewhat – somewhat with knowledge of the situation because that year between when the Big Ten and picked Nebraska over Missouri and when the SEC uh, accepted Missouri, there was a whole hell of a lot of insecurity in, uh, in the Missouri fan base as well regarding um, what happens if this doesn't if this these cards don't play out in this order uh, and we end up in the Mountain West. So there's there's certainly that too. Um, but God, the the seamlessness. The, I, I think the the thing that has impressed me most with Kansas State fans this week is the seamlessness in going from being mad because they can't find anybody better than an FCS coach to hire, um, and being mad at their AD and and just mad at life in general, to when basically every national analyst looked at the hire and said, "Oh, yeah, that's pretty good." They got they were they got even madder because then it's proof that. National analysts don't think we can hire anybody better than an FCS coach. How dare they? Um, and so it really is just it, like the, the anger was going to get fed no matter what. It was going to be given oxygen. And this is a fan base that has espoused things like Doug Gottlieb should be our basketball coach. Um, really? Not 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 i say fan base it's not like 100% said this it was like you know the vocal 10% or whatever but we we already know that there are some interesting ideas out too about 4 hours west of where i'm currently recording this podcast uh and you're only 4 hours from manhattan i think so something like that okay, yeah okay cool about 2 right, and a half here, from, from lawrence and about another hour and a half i think to manhattan 
I got to do the show intro because I got a couple more points on this and I don't want to drag it out too far. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It's college football marriage numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly. He's the inventor and proprietor of the S&P Plus analytics system. He is also the author of multiple books that make great stocking stuffers. Do it or I'll punch you in the stomach. Period. DM me for 50, uh, for a $16 book. Uh, I will sign it and send it your way for $16 via PayPal. Boom. You can find him at SBN underscore Bill C. One more time for enunciation at SBN underscore Bill C. My name is Stephen Godfrey. I hate your college football team. And also, the reason why I needed to get to the show intro was just to admit the fact that I cannot properly pronounce, I don't think that either one of us can properly pronounce the name of the new K-State head coach, who we have not mentioned yet. You can give it a shot? I mean... I, I pronounce things in my we, – we know that this gets me into trouble, but I pronounce things in my head the way they were spelled. Yeah, yeah I'm, pushing, so I'm can, pushing you out first so you <clears> hopefully So that, so that I can actually I remember how to spell it, and it is spelled Kleeman, so I say Kleeman in my head. Is it Kleeman, though? I, I certainly know. didn't think so. Um, I have not watched any hiring press conferences. I mean, it's, or, it's or, IE, so that's – it's weird. It's you should know it's weird Midwest people doing your weird I know, Midwest I'm person weird things. Midwest. Let's see. All right. Well, I'm I'm hopping on. I'm you hopping on like the YouTube. Are you gonna put in that Google thing where it spits it back out to you? Like, cl- cl- well, no, because that doesn't work. I've I've actually I'm actually listening to YouTube right now. Okay. Um, All right. I'll so vamp. You, you vamp, and I'll, I'll sit vamp. Here. Here's the best thing you should know, and the real reason you should be worried. He has a 66 and six record right now. Mark of the beast. How the hell can you be mad about okay, a 66 and six? That's just stupid. climbing. Verdict. Told you. You have a tough time with pronunciation. This is sort of your... Um... Well, no, this one's not on me. This one's on them. No, I'm, look, I'm look. pronouncing it the way the English language to, says to pronounce if it. You're it's, a on, superhero... it's on him if he, if he pronounces his name wrong. Hey, baby, if you're a superhero, this is just your weakness. It's okay. Pronouncing things. You can do magical this things This also that reveals can. that anytime I'm watching football on television, I probably have the sound turned way down. So but even though I watched if... North Dakota State like a week ago, I never heard his actual name pronounced out loud. If that's a dirty secret, I, I mean, I'm right there with you on committing that sin. I think, look, this is not cynicism about the industry. This is not being a too cool for school sports writer. I I actually advocate that more people should watch games with the mute. Are there any announcer friends that I have that are listening to this that are going to get pissed off? I wonder. Re- reach your own conclusions on things. Don't don't let don't let a former player tell you what to think. Well, I'm just saying, like you would, you can process more information because I, I think you're only capable in the spectrum of your like of the intake of your brain, if you've got the laptop open and Twitter and you're looking at like a score app, right? If you have a game on in the background plus the audio, I just think the audio is that one extra thing you don't need. That's fine, right? Sure. All right, uh, here's the deal. K-State had roughly these options. All right, you ready? They had the guy they hired who's 66-6 and six at North Dakota State, one of the most successful programs in college football, period. Don't give me that FCS stuff. Again, that will earn you a stomach punching, all right? That, that this is guy is a good uh, exaggeration, by the way. They've all been like, and he's he's only he's barely ever coached above Division Two. Like, come on. You know what division he's or subdivision he's at. You're, Every you're time he plays asshole. an FBS team, they win. What do you want? They can't even schedule F- FBS teams anymore. They, they, they scared off the entire FBS from playing them. I don't know what more you want. Um, so, yeah, he's the author of FBS wins that Kansas State probably doesn't even have in the last few years. Including and, over Kansas State. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you also had as an option Neil Brown, head coach at Troy. Great coach, right? Great cro- great coach, great program builder, seemingly snake bit in this round of the silly season. Um, and then you had Seth Luttrell, North Texas head coach, who basically takes the job – Right around uh, right about this time last week, he is sort of the heir apparent to Snyder, except for door number four, which is just sort of like the Snyder messery, right? That cost Seth Luttrell at North Texas the job, or a cost, or he removed him. I mean, he removed himself as the actual. I shouldn't. I shouldn't speculate here. I know he removed himself because of uh, large scale disagreements and, and an impasse on how that school was going to staff its coaches. All right. I think Brown would have run up against the same problem. I assume that Clement is just going to deal with it and, you know, kind of bite down and endure it. I don't think Snyder's fingerprint is going to leave this program. And I know a lot of people might be thinking, oh, good. And a lot of people might be thinking, oh, shit. Like, uh, this is a unique situation. It's one of the most unique situations in the Power Five. 
And I don't know what else to say other than you guys would have been worried no matter what. It's a very PAPN hire. We, of course, very much applaud the fact that someone was like, ooh, North Dakota State's head coach. Let's get that action. Um, I think North Dakota State in its DNA, I know you don't do an S&P Plus preview on them every year, but they sort of are working man, uh, scrappy junkyard assembly, uh, all these things that we used to describe K-State as, you know, in at their peak, at their pinnacle. So what's the problem? They're 20th right now in, in uh, Sagarin's rankings. That's amazing. That really is insane. <clears throat> um, so, okay, here's my official analysis. N- never mind all the perceptions and the insecurities and whatnot. And by the way, Kansas State fans, I do love you. You are kind of kindred. We, we had at um, – I, you know, I founded Rocket Nation back in, in 2007, and right around that same time, uh, a, a guy who's become a very good friend of mine, Ty, uh, founded Bring on the Cats, the Kansas State blog, and we found out very quickly that we are kindred spirits. We 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 um, created what we called the Unholy Alliance. Uh, we both had the same enemies, so we were friends and whatnot. And um, and, and the fan bases really are. Does that just very, mean Kansas? Huh. Does that just mean Kansas? Well, Kansas in ba- well, Kansas in both sports, I guess, in Nebraska and football. But yeah, like we we started to realize we had we we all grew up hating and loving the same things, and therefore, like we we should be friends, and so we are. But um, leaving out all the massive insecurities that I, I that I have come to to uh, understand, my official analysis on this is is basically. I mean, this is a culture hire. You have to create a culture to win at Kansas State. This isn't you know, I, I know that like after years of all the um of of trying to win with walk-ons basically and sometimes doing it, I understand that Kansas State fans wanted to just flip that completely around and we want to recruit four stars now. Screw the hard way, we want to do it the easy way or whatever. Uh that's never gonna happen at Kansas State. It's just not. Um Ron Prince actually did a pretty good job recruiting. And I mean, I can't remember where his classes fell. There were top 40 recruiting classes for sure. I think he might have had a top 30 in there. Josh Freeman, old quarterback Josh Freeman, was a four star kid from the Kansas City area. Um, and he basically left Snyder some of that talent. And then Snyder won a lot more games with it. But I understand the urge to want to just go sign four stars and not do things the hard way. It's always going to be a hard way job. And we know that Chris Kleeman, Kleeman, fine, Kleeman. Um, Again, it's not my fault. He spe- he he pronounces his name wrong. Uh, we 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 know that he a understands what a good culture looks like because um, he's seen it up close, and and b he knows how to maintain it once it's been established. The thing we don't know is if he can establish it himself because that's obviously with Craig Bowl. He, he you know he he inherited from Craig Bowl the best culture uh, you know this side of Boise, um, and so. He did maintain it, and we do. Speaking of Boise, we do know that former Boise State head coaches, uh, Peterson was the first, Chris Peterson's really the first one to to win somewhere else at the college level. Uh, obviously, Dirk Cutter has has done all right for himself at the pro level, but. Um, but he 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 kind of bombed at Arizona State to a degree. He went there and realized, oh crap, the the culture I'm used to is not does not exist here, and I don't know how to get it to uh, get these kids to care as much. Uh, and and Dan Hawkins obviously bombed at a couple different places. Congratulations to him, by the way, for finding for finding himself at UC Davis and and turning that program around. But um, we we don't know that you know just because this dude was I'm just gonna call him this dude from now on, so I don't say his name wrong. Climbing um, just because he oversaw like he maintained the culture that existed before he got to to Fargo doesn't mean he'll be able to create it himself we don't know that he can do that but we don't know something about every single head, new head coach all I ask for in a head coach hire at this point in the in the uh, upcoming offseason is basically doesn't make sense not every not every head coach hire makes sense. You know which ones I probably think don't make sense right now. Uh, this one makes total sense, and now we just have to see if he can create it himself. He's got a, a obviously the talent that he's inherited is not the same level of talent that that exists elsewhere in the Big Twelve, and it would not surprise me if they're pretty terrible next year. Um, you know, he, it could be kind of a situation where he's like, uh, you know, all the guys he inherits, you gotta, you gotta buy in immediately or otherwise you're not going to play. And, and some don't play or transfer or whatever for maybe. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if this was a year zero situation, but 
he checks more boxes than or as many boxes at least as Neil Brown does. And and I mean Seth Luttrell, I love Seth Luttrell. He's got all the Texas connections in the world. I like his offense. He'll probably he would probably do great at the P5 level, but he hasn't actually had a consistent team yet at North Texas. We don't know that he can generate year to, or like week to week consistency. Uh, we know that's not a problem with Kleiman. We know that. So um, everybody had question marks, and he checks a lot of boxes. He makes a ton of sense, and now we just have to see if it'll work. Uh, very much cheering for this guy. I think we're going to give him a PAP and offseason endorsement. Uh, we're pulling for this chap mainly because he's damned if he – there's there's no way to, to, to play this. Yeah, and – If by they the way, win nine games last next year, if they win nine <clears> games <throat> next year, it will be because he's inheriting Bill Snyder's system. <laughs> that if is, by the way – If they lose nine games next year, Bill, it will be because he's not doing it like Bill Snyder. That is another box that he checks, by the way. <clears throat> he knows how to succeed a legend and create his, the program himself and stand out himself because he did it in Fargo. This is all true. Coach K, we love you. Good luck. All right. Uh, the most requested item for this week, believe it or not, you ready? <laughs> Utah State. Hell yeah. Oh, man. We are the official podcast of the Mountain West Conference. Damn right. Man, those, uh, those like, the little zippy hood things. Uh, they don't have hoods. Um, what do you, is, is it a shacket? Yeah, it's I like kind of kind of like outerwear that you would wear to the gym, and it has the little little partial zip. They're, they are comfy. I am enjoying all the free things that they have provided to steer my bias in the direction of the Mountain West. That was a hell of a Yeti, right? Yeah, you could hit the... somebody with that Yeti cup and <laughs> knock them out. That is a bar fighting Yeti for sure. Utah State, uh, they didn't want to hire the guy they hired. Yeah, it happens. It happens. It's stupid that it happens. Okay. Um, I published a report, along with Richard Johnson, about some of the names that they had on deck to communicate with who were communicating with them. There's a hell of a list, too. This is what I was going to ask you about. Stripping all bias and all that stuff away, analytically, is there any name on that list that they spoke to who is worse than Gary Henderson? I, and, and look, like it, it's been six years since Gary Anderson was at Utah State. He's the one who turned that program around. Now, uh-huh. he did it with Dave Aranda. <laughs> Dave yeah. Aranda's not there anymore. But like, just yes. generally speaking, it, it, I understand. Like he, we know he can do the job because he's done the job this decade. Mm-hmm. But when, when – all right, so the, who are some of the other options? Rich Rodriguez was on the list, I know. Mark Helfrich. Mark Helfrich was on the list. Dave Aranda. Um, uh, that's right, Dave Aranda. Well, was Dave on Aranda, the list. no, Dave Aranda wasn't on my list. I, it was mentioned to me, and I took it off the list because I, I was informed essentially that Aranda wouldn't be a serious candidate simply by he is officially in Brent Venable's Chad Morris I'm Clemson happy territory. Yeah. Well, it's just like you really got to woo my ass out of here. Like, you get you know you get access. It's just exactly like Brent Venables. You get access to the best players in the country. Like they're not at Clemson's level yet at LSU, but they're damn good. Like. You get to, you know, you have a coach who lets you run your system. Like, Ed doesn't really get involved with Aranda stuff, you know, in a, in a meddlesome way. And Utah State's a great job, which is what I'm getting at here. But, like, Aranda's in an incredibly unique special situation. Um, and I've always heard that Aranda's next jump would either be to a P5 head coaching job in the West or maybe the National Football League. I would love him to take over my Atlanta Falcons defense. <laughs> Um, since we're going to be firing both our coordinators. Um, just stumping that out there. The point of this is Utah State did not want to hire Gary Anderson. What they wanted to do was continue to make aggressive, young, innovative hires and keep the momentum going in that way. They're a very good team. They leave behind a very good roster built by Matt Wells. They're a very patient place where they're going to let you develop because Wells sort of cratered there, as we've talked about before, um, had really successful seasons and then hit a valley and was not fired and was not fired specifically because um, they knew he was a good coach. It was just, there was a lot of circumstantial stuff. I remember we would talk about this every year when we would get to Utah state, the mountain West preview. So it's a good job. Um, however, every job has strings attached and the donors and big time boosters at Utah state love Gary Anderson. 
they really wanted Gary Anderson. And when your name's on buildings and you write big checks, um, sometimes you get to muscle your way past the people who actually make the decisions. And so Gary Anderson was ruled out initially. Um, the biggest concern there was his behavior. His track yeah. record has been has been rough. He in, not looked in terms like a burnt-out coach the last last time. Well, we he saw well, him. I mean, he was. Things were not good. The way he handled, I mean, the way he handled Oregon State. I'm of a mind that, like, I know we have a lot of Wisconsin listeners, but obviously everybody knows that Barry sort of runs that thing, right? And if you don't, if you run up against that in an ideological or practical way, then like you're out. And and Gary getting frustrated leaving going to Oregon State, I'm not against that at all. What I'm against is him kind of salting the earth behind him, which was just dumb diplomat from a diplomatic sense. It was just dumb. This is a very small industry, and then going to Oregon State and essentially like quitting out of frustration because things weren't going his way on a massive level. And like, you're the head coach. You're the head coach. If things aren't going your way and you willingly entered into this job, that's on you regardless. And you did go to Oregon state, which is a hard damn place to win leaving Wisconsin, which is not as a hard damn place to win. It's actually a pretty good place to win. So, uh, the way in which he quit and the way in which he had issues with his assistants and everything else that went on there, that bothered a lot of people in college football. And so he, he had a massive stigma going into this hiring cycle. And yet, he was hired. So here's your reminder that boosters are idiot message boarders with money. Oh, that's your. Oh, I thought you were about to like say something else. Yeah, no, no, no. This is a great example. Now, I will say this. He did win there. He knows the program. Yeah. He's been like, he's very familiar with Utah. He was at Utah this year. I think he's actually from the state of Utah or nearby. Nearby, like, yeah. I get it. I get it. But um, there were just, I think this this hire could have been, this could have been the big moment, the the uh, a Boise-ish moment for Utah State because Utah State is a good damn program and it's getting better. And you have to have competitive, like you have to have something more than Boise in this conference. And I don't know how many years I've been talking about, oh, it's going to be Colorado State and Wyoming. And then they're going to have a San Diego State in the West. And like, no, it's actually Fresno and Utah State. And that's fine. As long as the conference develops depth, it's good for the conference. This is the program by which you can do that. I don't think he will run this program into the ground. I think he will. I think he gets to take total ownership of a program. And that's a little scary. Right, I mean, he could run it into the ground if he's if his head's not in it, and it wasn't the last time we saw. Again, like it could. We know he's done well there, so it, I, I get it, and it wouldn't surprise me if he does well. But it would probably surprise me more than if he doesn't at this point. And he and he is actually from Utah. I think he was from Idaho, but he basically he was born in Salt Lake City. His alma mater is Utah. He started his career at Rick's College, which is in Idaho. But then he finished it at Utah. He's coached at Idaho State. He's coached at Park City High School. He's coached at Utah. He's coached at Southern Utah. He's coached at Utah State. Um, like, dude knows the area. And he did a really nice job of bringing in, you know, some young assistants, including Aranda and eventually Matt Wells. Um, and understanding, you know, really milking the JUCO pipelines that you can, you know, that you can use to attract talent to, to Utah State. He did a nice job of that. And he could do it again. But man, like if, if, if somebody like, we don't know that Helfrich was really on the table. We don't know who would have seriously considered the job, but like, it would feel like that would be much, much less risky than giving Gary Anderson another go at it. Seems very strange. Very strange indeed. Um, but yeah, a lot of people were pinging me because I had initially reported, hey, he's not a candidate. They don't want him. And then he comes roaring back in. Like, <laughs> I'm telling y'all exactly what happened. That's Idiot exactly orders with money. That's exactly what happened, y'all. It's it's sometimes dangerous to be an influencer at a school and feel like you have personal friendships with coaches. If anything, and I know this isn't how it works, because you give money to feel like to feel like you're having an impact and, and belonging. I mean, this goes all the way from people who leave, you know, endowments for science buildings and it goes to like rank and file bag men in the South. It's all the same thing. You just want to feel like you have a, an ownership of it. And that's not a good thing. If, if, if idiot boosters had their way, Missouri would have fired uh, Gary Pinkle in 2005 and replaced him with Gary Barnett. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to give me a fresher one from the um, – That's still – I mean, I lived through that Racial one. protest that, that was, season. That was like the, the, the day-to-day – well, I mean, yeah, some people wanted Pinkle fired then too, but then he retired, so it didn't matter. But, uh, 
Yeah, no, that, that, that was the, I was hardcore in the Missouri message boards in 2004 through six. Uh, and the, just the whole idiot, uh, you know, again, since I, I, you know, made fun of Kansas state fans, I, I understand how this works. And, uh, because of, because of how stupid the message boards were, uh, the Missouri message boards were in about 2005. That's the reason I decided to start a blog of my own anyway. Uh, so thank you to the message boarders and, and so, some semi-influential boosters for making that so stupid that I decided to go out on my own. It got me a job. A lot of people are asking us, and we're going to do Ask PAPN a little bit in this show, more in the next show. And as I think a lot of you know who have been on Reddit and and I – oh, no, we put this on Twitter too. We're doing a batch recording right now. So we're actually going to finish this show, turn around, record next week's show, and record the bonus. And we won't be back fresh until I think around the 28th. So we're going to get to a block of Ask PAPN in the show. A lot of people have said, is this a trend? What's going on? You have Gary Anderson. You have Les Miles. You have Mac Brown. Like – it does seem like this has been a year for the revenge of the of the the angry old boosters. It does, but I have no. I mean, it's it's all anecdotal, so I'm not going to like write a piece. Okay, about here's that, the but. deal at Kansas, Bill or at Kansas, like you can't you can't say Kansas went down like North Carolina, and it because it didn't. The boosters wanted a guy at North Carolina who they'd always kept contact with, who was an ex coach. So really, North Carolina and Utah State have the same thing in common. Kansas was, we hired a new athletic director who had a very close personal tie to one coach who had won a national championship 11 years ago. And then it was then going about selling him to a booster core that is, you know, basketball centric and just starving for even a a shred of respectability. So I think it was an easy sell for football. Um, Are we leaving out any of these hires that I can think of? Well, Mac Brown was the revenge of the angry boosters. I guess, yeah. It'd be really funny if uh, Larry Fedora ends up as OC at Florida State and they start stomping <laughs> their ass. It's very possible. Um, okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if there's a trend. It's something I would kind of pick apart in the offseason. I think the trend is not necessarily hiring old coaches. I think it's kind of what Bill, what Bill touched on, which is like – are. In these moments where you're cycling through and the expectation level hasn't been met in a longer period of time, is it just a matter of we're going to throw our weight around, you know, right or wrong, usually wrong, because we don't actually know what we're doing, but we've paid our way into it. I think that's the trend. It's not old coaches. Because a lot look, a lot of young coaches get get a lot of the young sexy hires ride the same wave of booster excitement, right? We see with yeah. OCs all the freaking time. So I don't know if it's limited just to older coaches bill um before we jump into the first batch of bowls Mm -hmm. bowl tasting menu bowl tasting menu i want to run a couple of these uh assistant hires by you right because they're all getting a lot like a level of of reaction online and some may be not as bad as we think some may be worse i don't know it's very very curious okay so this is just a couple that i wrote down i want your opinion on and feel free to add on any and so there's a tangled one. I know we talked about Cliff to, to USC, so we'll do that one first. Then there's kind of a tangled one involving multiple schools and Phil Longo. Um, Cliff Kingsbury to USC. We both kind of rubber stamped this last week. Yeah. I mean, there's really no way else to think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can you can if you try hard enough, you can craft a scenario where the the head coach, you know, maybe he didn't want to have to bring in a bunch of new guys. Maybe he was pressured to. Maybe he doesn't accept the changes. Maybe there was a power struggle. Burr, da, 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 da. And that's sure. That's that's on the table, I guess. Right. But in terms of just coaching quality, we know exactly what Cliff Kingsbury does well, and now he doesn't have to worry about the stuff he doesn't do well. So, I mean, that's as good a, an assistant hire as you could possibly want on paper. I think we both agree. And then also, I think Cliff Kingsbury could could shoot down this emerging narrative against the Air Raid and against the Air Raid coaches. I mean, things- it's, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to me that there's another emerging narrative about that, considering... Look, all, all, this- all NFL jokes on our podcast aside about how like we, we talk about the NFL or ha-ha, you guys are doing much. Here's what I'm terrified of. We're seeing more progressive thought at the pro level, and we're seeing more regressive thought yes. at the college level. And that is scary. Yeah, I mean, maybe Neil Brown just doesn't interview well. I don't know. Um, no, he does. I've literally interviewed the man. Well, no, but like in a, from a from a like a head coaching, what would you do in this role kind of thing? Who knows? Maybe he bombs those interviews. It wouldn't make any sense, but maybe he does. 
But otherwise, it looks like somehow he's being dinged for something that doesn't involve records. And I, who knows? Well, he was definitely dinged at Louisville for for bullshit. Right. Uh, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah, Kentucky true, affiliation. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't understand it at all. But to have so many people at Louisville tell me that that was a concern on the table is just insane. I mean, the AD is from Kentucky. You know, we, we went through this. I wrote about this, just the, the sheer amount of people. I mean, Howard, Howard Schnellenberger, who helped build Louisville football, Kentucky, Rick Pitino, Kentucky. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys want. But um, that's not to speak ill of Satterfield. It's just it's strange that they would hold that against Neil Brown. Um, Texas Tech outright said we don't want that. Okay. <laughs> then they hired Matt Wells. So I don't know. Is Matt Wells that fundamentally different? Well, I mean, he found success when he hired David Yost as his offensive coordinator and they started passing the ball a lot. So Right. That's what I'm saying. Okay. So that was the one knock on Brown there was like he didn't really even have a puncher's chance at Lubbock. Um then there's the Kentucky connection. And by the way, I didn't finish the, the complete thought was that if you didn't know Neil Brown was a an assistant for uh, Mark Stoops at Kentucky. He also walked on to Kentucky before eventually going to UMass to finish his degree. So he played he left for Kentucky. Kentucky. Twi- he left UK twice. And, and they still yeah, what do you on. want people? Um, and then at K state, I, you know, I, I can't speak to it w- with 110% authority at the moment, but I think Brown, if Seth Luttrell, who's in a very similar situation to Neil Brown, gets yeah. to the almost 11th hour and pulls out and says, whoa, there's some system things here that are scary. I don't have authority over this. They're not granting me control over this. And from what I do know about the Latrell situation, it's a variety of things that coaches should have total control over when they come into to a program. Um, I think that Latrell made the right decision. And I also think Brown, there's no reason for Brown to come rushing in after him and just take it just to have a P5 job. It doesn't make sense to me. <clears throat> So I think he's better off at Troy in the short term. But yeah, it, I don't know, to go back to the Cliff thing, if the bias is that strong right now. And also, I, I, I'm trying to figure out the origin of this bias too, which, um, <laughs> you know, these things are like, it, it is, it's, it's ideas are viruses essentially. And so finding the origin is very hard, but this has really sprung up. I hear this in a lot of places now, and I don't understand it because I don't understand what it is that people fundamentally have against the air raid when... There, the concepts have been mashed and blended and spread. I mean, freaking Alabama runs it, you know, to a degree. To to a degree, they're they're air raid concepts and so many offenses. So I don't know. And uh, by Jay the way, Ju- Troy runs the ball um, on passing downs more than almost anybody in the country. So, yes, because uh, he had to adapt to his personnel, which, which yeah. we talked about on the show. It was one of the most impressive things that he did, and that was starting. He started doing that in the two seasons in which he beat Nebraska and LSU. Yeah, he has so. a thousand yard rusher and no fifty catch guys. I don't know, man. Um, Jay Johnson to Colorado. This is here's the problem. When you take when you take assistance from the um from the Saban tree or now uh-huh. the, the Kirby tree, like you know, Mel Tucker goes to Colorado and he brings Jay Johnson with him. A lot of people are like, Oh, you know, what's this guy like asking us? And we're like, I um Remember, nobody knew what Kirby there was a lot of people didn't know what Kirby sounded like on a yeah. national level because he was kept under lock and key. Do you, can you give me anything on Jay Johnson going to Colorado? Um, no. Um, here's what I can tell you about. <laughs> here's what I can tell you. This is why it's on the list. Uh, it was described to me by a coach who had worked with Mel Tucker, who's on a, a different staff now. And I was asking, I was like, well, what do you think looks good right now? Like, what do you think is cool? What do you think you're excited to buy? And he was like, he was really trying to sell me on the Mel Tucker thing. And I would say trying to, like he didn't, but I was just impressed because I hadn't heard one one thing sort of either way about Mel Tucker. Um, I think you could have a really fun, really unique player culture thing that might actually be genuine at Colorado coming up with Mel Tucker. That was described. That's that's the way it was described to me. So I'm interested to see how that fleshes out in a practical sense. I don't know what they'll look like on the field, but I don't know if that methodology is what works to like sort of solve Colorado. I think it's just more recruiting than anything else. So they went and hired somebody who was a good recruiter, but it's yeah. become one of those like I'm going to pay attention to this because I haven't. You know, I I just sort of accept it's like oh they just hired a Georgia assistant because of his connections. Da 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 da. Yeah, I mean he was the only thing I can really. In the time that I've been doing this full time over the the last decade, really the only job he held where I where he got to 
display some sort of coaching personality in a way that I would notice was when he was at Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and all I can really say about the Mark Hudspeth, uh, Jay Johnson, uh, Louisiana Lafayette offenses was just that they, 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 they found athletes and created a, a, an a athletic physical go be fast and athletic kind of system it, that usually meant they had a good running back. It, it usually meant they had a pretty mobile quarterback um, and they would go deep a lot. And, and may, so maybe, maybe that offers some sort of hint, but it's really, uh, it's really hard to have any sort of concrete um, opinion here. I just think, you know, if they get the athletes, he'll be good, but that's most offensive coaches. Here's what I can tell you about this next one. You want a little juice, a little scoop. Chip Lindsay to Kansas. Mm-hmm. Kansas interviewed a lot of damn assistants since they hired Les Miles. Kansas is struggling to hire assistants. <laughs> what? Who is shocked? Yeah. Um, um, he took this job at Kansas more or less because his ass was out the door anyway at Auburn. Right. And this is a place to land. <clears throat> And he, everything I would have, if you asked me about a, a Chip Lindsey offense and then you asked me about a Les Miles offense, yeah. um, very little overlap in the Venn diagram. So I don't really know. I don't know. They're like They'll probably run the ball a lot. That's really all I can tell you. Um, so then Auburn goes, turns around, and makes an offensive co- coordinator hire where – they were, you know, they're trying to swing for the fences and go for the big all-star names, which nobody really thought was going to be a fit with the situation with Gus Malzahn. They get Kenny Dillingham, who's not going to call plays. Right. Gus Malzahn is going to call plays. Dillingham comes over from Memphis. This is a, um, it might be a good hire. It has none of the sizzle that, that Auburn people wanted. Um, <laughs> again, again, usually if fans want sizzle, um, don't listen to them. So you're now going to have a situation where it looks like the play, because everyone's just talking about the play calling at Auburn. That's sort of the main thing. <laughs> so you have just, just you have just Gus. Make a better offensive line. Put a better offensive <laughs> line on the field next year and watch what happens to your play calling. Get him, Bill. You have, you'll have you have Gus, you'll have Dillingham, and you'll also have Cody Burns, who is a co-OC, sort of mashing this play <clears throat> thing together, and then Gus is going to call the plays. Yeah, and, and you know if Dillingham basically is able to kind of just lean on Malzahn's old t- instincts of of speed and and physical running and super fun kind of option stuff. Um, I mean, Dillingham was Memphis's offensive coordinator. Memphis' offense was fun as hell this year, and it was fun in a way that I think if Auburn fans watched it, um, I mean Brady Brady White threw for three thousand yards, so it wasn't like straight up twenty thirteen Auburn or anything. But um I mean you had two guys, Daryl Henderson and Patrick Taylor combined for four hundred carries almost in the in in thirteen regular season games. Um like they they ran and ran and ran and and just did a lot of really fun stuff. I and if that kind of just coaxes out Gus's personality a little bit. It is funny. Like he's gone through so many and maybe this is just the Auburn job, but he's gone through so many just kind of like identity crisis periods at Auburn where find something that works and everything's clicking. He's got swagger again. And then things stop working and he goes, Oh God, I don't know what to do. And they just start throwing stuff at the wall uh, and they lose their identity and he almost gets fired. And then he rallies and he figures some things out again. Um, and, and I think like he, uh, Dillingham could absolutely be a good influence on Gus. But this is up, you know, our friend Josh Black on, on Twitter talks a lot about just has, has been talking for a month now about just like bet on yourself, Gus. You got, you got one more chance at this. Bet on yourself and, and make sure you're staying true to yourself. Uh, call the plays, do all the things you're good at. Um, and I think. Dillingham will have a good influence him on him in that regard. It's just, you know, do they have an offensive line? They didn't have an offensive line this year, and that was kind of a wee bit of a problem. All right, here's a fun one. Very strange. Phil Longo <laughs> uh, affecting cultures. Um, Jay Bateman is hired by North Carolina. Jay Bateman, defensive coordinator at Army. Jay Bateman, Broyles Award finalist this year. Um, Jay Bateman, super-duper celebrated for all the things that he's been able to do with Army's personnel and the multiplicity and all this stuff that they can do that they shouldn't be able to do because they're Army, right? And then also the way they fought against Oklahoma. Yeah. Jay Bateman will be the first person to tell you that he has the benefit of what, Bill? Low expectations? Nope. 
reduced numbers of possessions. Okay. Well, yeah, that, and also, um, low expectations because they were 77th in defensive S&P plus this year. That's not really. So Jay Bateman (laughs) and army are going to see your offense a hell of a lot less than another defensive coordinator and another defense are going to see your offense. Yep. Okay. That's the beauty of, of the triple. And when the triple works, like the triple really works when army's running it this year, they essentially have, you have less and less opportunities to go out of defense. When you have less and less opportunities to go out of defense, I think it fundamentally changes the way that you call plays. I've been told this, right? Because you're worried about, it's going to change your methodology on first down. It's going to change your methodology on third down. It's going to make you second guess your plan because you know that if you screw right. this if up, you screw, yeah. you may, it may be six game minutes before you get another shot, which in reality is a lot longer than that, and it ices down your offense. So Jay Bateman gets the job in North Carolina, which can be a great job, right? Jay Bateman gets the job before my man Phil Longo gets the offensive coordinator job, all right? Phil Longo, a little bit of the opposite there, Billiam, right? Yeah, I mean, they were top 30 in tempo. They weren't top five in tempo. So I don't want to over, overshoot here. He was not the reason that Ole Miss's defense was horrible, for instance. No. Um, so, but, Jay, so, but, so now at North Carolina, you hired a D.C. that comes from a completely different type of, of pure football play-calling culture. Right. You pair him with a guy who is straight out of Texas, flat out. I mean – Longo comes from Sam Houston State. Like they, it is whatever you don't like, whatever your criticism of uh, too many points, too much tempo, run and gun, basketball on grass. Th- he is from the heart of that damn thing. And you're going to pair these guys together. It's going to be really interesting. Really yeah. interesting. I yeah, think they, it's going to, it's going to create a interesting dynamic to watch. I'm, I'm really, I am curious. Uh, you know, Longo with a different set of personnel. It was hard to tell. Like, I mean, obviously. He doesn't mind throwing the ball, but I, I couldn't really tell at, at Ole Miss, you know, were, were they throwing because he wants to throw the ball or were they throwing because he didn't trust the run game? It seemed like the run game was pretty good this year compared to what it had been previously at Ole Miss, but um, we'll see like what with what he inherits, uh, we'll see what he chooses to do with it. I, I um, the, the other overlying issue here with uh, Phil Longo is, you know, Mac Brown, track record with younger assistants or, or, you know, modern assistants, not amazing. And so what he lets Phil Longo do will also have a role uh, in how many times Jay Bateman's defense sees the field. Very strange hire because you can't really half-ass that offense. You know, it's, it's sort of just, you sort of turn it on and it goes and that's what you run. Yep. And that's kind of it. So going to be really interesting to watch there. Now the beneficiary of Phil Longo leaving Ole Miss is Mac McIntyre, the new defensive coordinator, <laughs> former head coach of Colorado. Um, we are recording this on the 12th of December. We are going offline for a little while for the holidays. I don't. Uh, they have not made the hire yet to replace Phil Longo. I can almost bet with my own money that it will be Dan Werner, the quarterback's coach at South Carolina, former old, two-time Ole Miss offensive coordinator, <laughs> former offensive coordinator at Miami, uh, becoming sort of a Mississippi lifer. Um, was originally hired by Ed Orgeron way back in the day um, and is now, God, he's probably the most tenured old Miss coach of the last 20 years. So he will be back almost certainly, uh, mainly because that job has also struggled to bring in assistance. Uh, there's not a lot of faith or confidence in anything going on at Ole Miss, specifically the uh, staying power of Matt Luke. So they've struggled to find people to take that job. Now, here's what I want to say before I ask you about McIntyre as a defensive coach. I don't, that man, okay, let me do the hand claps, got his money, Bill. <laughs> That's right. That That's man right. got his money. So my man has a year and a half of awesome football or very good football, however you want to qual- like qualify it, at Colorado. That earns him an extension. Step up to that, the mic, please. <laughs> that results in a $10 million buyout. So right here, buddy. Good job, Mike McIntyre. I am not watching the pockets. I am celebrating what this man has done. All right, Bill? So you got $10 million that's guaranteed. All right? There's no way – there's uh, there's no offset clause in the buyout. And for those of you who don't know, offset clause means that if you get hired somewhere else and they start paying you, that is X amount of dollars that we don't have to pay you. Right? So if I fire you with a $5 million buyout, you get a 
$3 million contract. I'm only paying you $2 million, okay? He does not have that. There is no offset bill. The man is getting his $10 million from Colorado over X amount of time, X amount of time with no matter what happens, all right? He could retire. He could just take two years off. He could do whatever he wanted to. $10 million is coming your way. What's my man do? He gets a $1.5 million a year deal <laughs> from the worst defense in the SEC. Damn. Good job, Mike McIntyre. You are the winner of the entire silly season. You just like that that is the most, as they say in Louisiana, lanyap deal I've that- ever seen in my life. <clears throat> it's brilliant. Also, Ole Miss, you are so stupid as usual. What are you doing? Why did you pay Mike McIntyre a million and a half a year? Yeah, that's. <laughs> so, what do you think of Mike McIntyre as a defensive coordinator? Because my uh, man got his money. Yeah. Um, I, well, it's been a while since he's been a defensive coordinator, so it's hard to tell. He was DC at Duke back in the beginning of the Cutcliffe era, and he had like one good defense there. He had one good defense at Colorado as head coach, and that was when Levitt was there. And then Levitt leaves, and his defense tanks because he hired who was it, DJ Elliott, um, as his as, as Levitt's replacement, and and Elliott had like no track recent track record of success, and still doesn't. Um, so we'll see. Like it, 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 it didn't blow me away, especially if you're going to pay that much for him. But, um, you know, he, you know, if he's got the talent and Ole Miss at one point had defensive talent. So we'll see. Buddy. Mm -mm -mm. Uh, yeah. Good on Mike McIntyre for getting that money. I don't really have any kind of statistical analysis. I just wanted to say, damn. Yeah, that makes no uh, sense. A lot of things about that whole situation don't make sense. Colorado doesn't really make sense. Ole Miss, it doesn't really make sense. Makes mm-hmm. sense for Mac, Mike McIntyre, however. Uh, last thing I want to say is uh, we got a, we got a full-on swear word alert coming. You ready? If you want to scrub 15 seconds ahead, go ahead and do that now. Man, what the fuck is Bowling Green doing? What in the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Have you lost your fucking mind? Akron did win a division with Terry Bowden and um and uh coach Chesty from in- uh Amato from NC State. So there's that um they also just fired Terry Bowden. Uh, sell so me did- this. Sell no, I want you to sell me what Bowling Green is doing. No. I <sighs> zigging when everybody else in the mag zags. Mhm. Mhm. Is that it? Um, yeah, that's it. Let's list it out. All right, so they hired Scott Loeffler. So Scott Loeffler, former who, who offensive is, coordinator. Who has overseen about a half a season's worth of good offense in the last decade. If you don't know who Scott Loeffler is, Scott Loeffler has his he is the cooler. I don't I mean I don't have anything against this man personally, but I've watched this guy. In fact, I was going through Google Photo for something for my family the other night, and there's photos. I didn't I never had a work phone, it's all just one phone. Um, and I'm going through photos and there's photos from 2012. I don't remember 12 or 13 Vanderbilt beating Auburn in Nashville. And on the phone are two photos of a dejected Scott Loeffler trying to explain away how they essentially had no offense whatsoever. This is when he was this, he had replaced Malzahn for Chizik. So whatever year that was. Okay. And then I also had photos of a dejected Brian Van Gorder explaining why they could not stop Vanderbilt on third down. <laughs> so now, reunited at last, Brian Van Gorder is a member. He's a defensive coordinator. No, he's linebacker's Green. coach. Uh, linebacker's he will, coach. He will work under Carl Pellini. Ah, damn it. You were stealing my thunder. Okay, yes. <laughs> Carl Pellini is running the show. The more unhinged of the Pellinis. <laughs> the less amiable Polini. Is Loeffler calling the plays, you think? Uh, yeah, who is his offensive coordinator? I don't know if I he's... I don't know, but I, I'm just... I'm straight up doing the, doing the Mac story next year just so I can go on like a... I might tailgate at a Bowling Green game. I this have is, tailgated at a Bowling Green game. Why? It's very windy. Why? Because Missouri played them in like 2002. At Bowling Green? Yeah. 
terrible. They were they were um, really good at the strange two for ones or one for ones deal. Yeah. They played at Troy a couple of years later, lost that one too. It was a good time. Um What in the hell? Bowling green. Yeah. So, is this just is this just where they, they blind you with the resume stuff? Like Carl Pelini, you know. His brother coached in Nebraska. He was on those staffs. Uh, Brian Van Gorder, Notre Dame, Auburn. Scott Loeffler, he's coached at Florida. He's coached at Auburn. He's coached at Virginia Tech. Um, so all the offenses, he sucked it up at VTech, <clears throat> Auburn. So, well, he comes back from a couple years. Well, no, okay, so to back all the way up, he was a, he's a Michigan guy. He's a Michigan man through and through. He he played quarterback at Michigan. He was a grad assistant at Michigan through 99. He was quarterback's coach at Michigan from 02 through 07. So, you know, Chad Henney, um, others that were probably okay. Uh, 2008, he becomes the Detroit Lions quarterback's coach for a year, and then his run begins. He goes to to Florida and oversees Jeff Brantley. Oh, no, 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 wait. He was – okay, no, he started in 09. So that was Tebow's last year. I always want to say 2008 was Tebow's last year, but he came back in 2009. Um, and so he does have that. Uh, and then in 2010, he was, he was Jeff Brantley's quarterback's coach of Florida. He goes to Temple uh, in 2011 um, under Steve Adazio. And they do, uh, put, they do rank 64th in offensive S&P Plus that year. Like he, he seemed to uh, – he worked pretty well with Adazio at least with what Adazio wanted to do. Then after that, after that amazing one-year offensive coordinator resume of finishing 64th at Temple, he gets the Auburn job. He has to say Gene Chizik's career um, doesn't. Spoiler, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, they go from 37th to 93rd in offensive S&P Plus their one, the one year at, uh, at Auburn. He doesn't save Gene Chizik, so he goes to save um, uh, Frank Beamer's tenure at Virginia Tech, three years at Virginia Tech, their offenses in offensive S&P Plus rank 71st, 94th, and 72nd. This success earns him the Boston College job uh, back with Steve Adazio. He's, so 2016 through 18 with Adazio again. 2016, um, horrible 124th in offensive S&P Plus. 2017, however, um, well, they finish 101st because they were so hilariously bad the first half of the year. But then for like a month and a half, they have an unstoppable offense. Um, that month and a half ends, and they don't anymore. And this year, they they are currently 95th in offensive S&P+. Plus. So, um, that's his resume. Lots of Michigan and lots of 70s, 80s, 90s, 100s, 110s, and 120s on the old... Uh, uh, on the old offensive S&P Plus ranking resume. That got him a head coaching Ooh. job in, in F- FBS in which he keeps, I think, keeps Carl Polini or hires Carl Polini. I don't remember where Carl was last year. Uh, and then says, okay, my boy Brian, he's a free agent. I got I can't let somebody else scoop him up. I got to get Brian Van Gorder in here to coach my linebackers. Bill, it's time to clear our palate and go to the tasting menu. Yeah. Are you ready? Where did we Carl got Polini coach last year. Let's see. Um, I can't leave it hanging. Um, I young, thought okay, he was at he, Bowling he Green. He wasn't. He was Youngstown State. So, Car- so Scott Loeffler sought him out. And no, wait. I thought Carl was the interim. Twenty seventeen. Oh no, wait. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah, Twenty eighteen. Yeah. He okay. Was the interim. So yeah, he was he was Youngstown through twenty seventeen. Um, yeah, we joked on the show about wanting him to get the permanent job. Yeah, Wikipedia confused me. They just had uh, interim head coach, but not where else he was. Okay, yeah, yeah. So he was there for a year. Bowling Green's defense this year, by the way. Uh, 127th um, in FBS in defensive S&P+. Plus. So better than three teams. So suck at those three teams. Uh, and you got to keep Picard Pellini on hand if he can produce the number 127 defense. Whew. All right, Bill. Tasting menu. Mmm, yeesh. Friday, December 14th. Um, I'm going to read these out because why not? We have the D3 final. Do you know who's in the D3 final? D3 final. Uh, yes. It's, that's that's Mary Harden Baylor and Mountain Union, right? Damn right. I don't know if you Google that or not. Powerhouse versus powerhouse right there. I don't know if you Googled that or not, but I'm impressed. No, no. no I, 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 I will freely admit to having watched part of both semifinal games last week. Hell yeah. Uh, so we also have a semifinal up in uh, D1AA or FCS. Uh, South, da- <laughs> South Dakota State is at North Dakota yeah, State. Yeah. Uh, Kleiman is still coaching, by the way. Well, you're damn That'll right. You don't, you don't jump off that that ride that close to the finish line. 
<laughs> on uh, God. No, seriously though, that's, you got You got. You can win two more games and win another national title. You don't. You don't leave for Kansas State until you finish that. All right, uh, I'll run through these really fast. Another semi is Maine at Eastern Washington. Uh, the D two final. You're is not going to skip the Celebration Bowl. Uh, no, I was going to do it as part of the bowls. Okay. Okay. So give me a okay. second. Uh, the D2 final is Ferris versus Valdosta. Go Valdosta. And the NAIA championship is Benedictine, Benedictine. versus Morningside. All of those are available on the ESPN apparatuses. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's talk about actual bowls. The Celebration Bowl, we'll start there. It's 11 a.m. on ABC. That is Alcorn versus North Carolina, A-N-T. The SWAC and MIAC champions facing each other. It kind of sucks because um, like, right. I, I, I enjoy with that bowl – like. There is such a there has been a pretty verifiable boost in enrollment for these schools uh, when they get onto the stage. Um, it happened with the I think the what, what were we? it was Grambling NCA and T one year um, or no it was Alcorn NCA and T one year then it was Grambling versus NC Central the next like basically now we're we're starting to fall into a little rut here with who can actually win the SWAC and MEAC, um, which is great for those schools. But it's either Alcorn or Grambling every year. It's A&T most years uh, for, in, in the MEAC, and it was just kind of disappointing because we almost had a situation where FAMU uh, with Willie Simmons was able to, to win the MEAC. They couldn't quite do it. Uh, and then in the SWAC, it looked like maybe Southern was the best team going on there, but then Alcorn won the, uh, won the SWAC title game. So we ended up with kind of the same blood as we've seen for a while here, but it's fine. They're, they're, A&T is really – just like beefy, good-looking team. It looked like they were maybe one of the best in FCS. You know, they came out of the year. They beat. Uh, they won a couple big games. They beat Jacksonville State. Then they beat uh, whichever FBS team they played this year, Blanken. Um, and then they kind of fell into a little bit of a rut. So it was, it's a little less exciting than I thought it was going to be. But it'll still be a good game and a really fun atmosphere. Boom! Uh, on Saturday. On Saturday, here's the your slate of FBS bowls. Um, the Cure Bowl, which is ULL and Tulane, is at 12:30 on CBS Sports Network. The New Mexico Bowl is North Texas versus Utah State at uh, 1 p.m. on ESPN. Las Vegas Bowl is Arizona State and Fresno at 2:30 on ABC. The Camellia Bowl is Eastern Michigan versus Georgia Southern at 4:30 on ESPN, and the New Orleans Bowl is App State and Middle Tennessee. Sorry, I just say Middle because I live near the campus is at 8 p.m. on ESPN. So let's talk about those real fast. Um, you tell me your favorite. I'm going to find the watchability rankings as well. Um, <laughs> so we did watchability. Uh, that's what I was sick. ragging Bill on on last week's show. They're terrible. Um, I know you're angry that most of them are too low. Yes. Um, and but the there are... ones are too high, but anyway. Wow, okay, really? All right. So the Cure Bowl. Mm-hmm. On a scale of one to five, we gave the Cure Bowl. I disagree with this one as well. The average watchability of all the people at SB Nation that voted on a one through five scale was that Tulane and ULL have a 1.9. I, I, you are still Sunshine Bill Connolly and always will be in my heart, but that, that seems pretty low. Yeah. Um, Michigan, Florida got a 2.8. I gave two, I gave Michigan, Florida a one. Uh, so basically, uh, I, 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 I have no use for these bulls. I have, my coworkers are just wrong on this one. Um, Tulane was a really weird team this year. I'm This was, I don't think this was really Fritz's best Tulane team. So I was kind of surprised when they managed to, they won four out of five late. They managed to make a bowl and I'm really happy for them, but it's a kind of a weird team. Their defense, they're a lot more defense heavy than we're used to. But on the bright side, they are sixth in uh, marginal explosiveness. They are hilariously all or nothing on offense, which can make for a pretty fun viewing experience. Uh, mm-hmm. Meanwhile, fifth in marginal explosiveness, Louisiana Lafayette. So we're going to see a lot of three and outs, and we're going to see like five 70-yard runs. What more do you want from a bowl game? That's what I'm saying. Um, so, by the way, the spread is three and a half for Tulane there. Uh, this game obviously should be played in New Orleans to be the New Orleans Bowl, but, <laughs> of course, they kicked it over to Orlando. That's just the weirdness. Um, I will I will tune in on this bowl, definitely. Um, yes. Okay, the New Mexico Bowl. Uh, this game slaps. Is that what the youth says? Uh, the New Mexico Bowl, 1 o'clock on ESPN, is North Texas and Utah State. It has a watchability score of 3.4 by our staff. I would boost that up to a four. I don't know what I voted. I did it really, really fast one day. But um, a 3.4, I think, is solid. Um, this is These are two really good football teams. Seth Luttrell obviously staying at North Texas. Um, 
I mean, I don't know. Whatever you want out of a bowl before the big ones, this is what you this is what you get. This is yeah. um, the environment may not be amazing at, at, at just the regular New, University of New Mexico Stadium. I, that that won't be that fun. Like the they do Pretty, a good job in the New Orleans Bowl, yeah. but like most of these are going to have tepid environments. But this is going to be a good football game. Yeah, it's a it's a small enough stadium, and and both it's basically halfway between Denton and and what Logan is that where Utah State is, um, like that's yeah it, it could be a decent crowd at least decent enough for television. It really this game comes down to whether Utah State they're in interim coach land, and you you never ever 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 know which teams under interim coaches will play twice as well and which ones will just kind of mail it in. I would assume that Utah State has, still has a, a, a decent amount to play for here. Um, I think who's their uh, interim coach? Is it, uh, the coordinator, uh, Maley or whatever? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I hope they show up because if they do, this is one of the kind of the marquee mid-major bowls uh, they've got going on, and, and Utah State is a very, very good team, and this is their chance to prove it. Utah State is an eight-point favorite in this game. This is one of those weird lines. This is why I was going to bring up lines. That's a very weird number. Yeah, I mean, S&P Plus loves Utah State and only has them by three. So, yeah, um, yes, kind of mm, weird. Very interesting. Uh, a game that I, I think is lesser than that game, yes. uh, but <laughs> ranks as a 3.3, just a just a tenth of a point <laughs> off, the Las Vegas Bowl, Arizona State and Fresno. Um, Fresno's favored by four and a half here. I think Fresno's going to win this game. Um it's not going to be as interesting because Fresno's, I think, going to beat up on Arizona, um, and it probably won't be as fun and as watchable. But you get Herm in a bowl game in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- this one will really depend on Arizona State and you know what they can do against Fresno State's defense. Fresno's defense is very, very good. Um, hasn't given up more than twenty. Well, wait, no, wait. They got it. They got sucked into a shootout against Toledo. Otherwise, they've pretty much been awesome in every game they played this year defensively. Um, Arizona State, though, wait, oh no, hold on. Is Henry playing? Is Nikhil Henry out or? Let's say yes. Uh, I'm I'm pulling up DonBest.com real quick. Let's see, because that that will determine. They had a pretty good offense this year. Yeah, he's out for Fresno for for the bowl, so that's going to hurt him. Um, but you know, they're still. I don't know. They're a bunch of P5 recruits. They can still figure something out. Um, he's not the only decent receiver they've got. He's by far the best, but they've got another guy, Darby, who's uh, pretty explosive. Just comes down to whether they can move the ball consistently or not. And, and Fresno is really good at making sure you can't this year. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I may be starting to side with you on this watchability thing being bunk, but it's, I'm it's, also in the bag for Georgia Southern. So, uh, Eastern Michigan, Georgia Southern gets a watchability score of 2.7. I will watch this mainly because I grew up a Georgia Southern fan. Um, I just anecdotally, I will say, I know a lot of Georgia Southern people in my family, obviously both my parents went there, but, uh, there's a little grousing now where they understand that, uh, when you are a low level FBS team, <laughs> you get crappy end of season destinations like the Camellia Bowl relative to the playoff structure and how fun that can be at the FCS level. So they don't regret moving, but it's just it's kind of funny to hear him gripe. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- uh, not EMU, much to say. I like Georgia Southern in this game, um, and yeah, I'm gonna watch it. So hell yeah, um, EMU kind of not a great matchup here. Just I mean they they're by far better on defense than offense, uh, but they are by far better at pass defense, and that's yeah. really not going to be tested uh, all that much against Georgia Southern. It's going to come down to whether you can you can manage uh, against their their. Uh, their flavor of option uh, run, and we'll see. We I, we have no idea whether you can actually do that or not. Uh, we're going to talk about these next two games together just because I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. So Middle Tennessee beat UAB in the uh, in nope. the CUSA champion. No, no, no. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. Middle Tennessee beat UAB. Then UAB turned around and beat Middle Tennessee. Yes. I would have preferred and don't understand why you don't send UAB to the New Orleans Bowl. Like, I don't understand why these conferences can't get this right. Well, so the New Orleans Bowl is App put- State and Middle, and the Boca Bowl, it, the Boca Bowl on Tuesday night, because Monday night has Monday night football, <clears throat> the Boca Bowl is Northern Illinois and UAB. Right. That's still How champ awesome. versus champ. It's the wrong champ versus champ. That's but it's still right. Champ that's so, champ. so, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm getting at because the Sun Belt offers up its, its champion, and I feel like it just makes so much more sense to give that to. Cusa with the regional footprint, you put it in New Orleans. This is a game ULL really kind of made this bowl game interesting because they would just pack it out. Um, 
but you know, like, like I said, I live near nearby Middle Tennessee. They have a lot of commuter fans. It's a fun, easy trip. It's it's far enough away from Christmas. It doesn't get involved with family plans. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a good game. This is probably like if I had to pick one game to watch on on the Saturday slate, I'm gonna go with the New Mexico Bowl, North Texas yes. and Utah State. Um, but this is going to be a fun game. App in an interim situation, middle Rick Stock still ain't ever leaving that that bay. So, um, uh, App's favored by six and a half. I probably like App here, but I really wanted to see App and UAB, which is kind of what yeah. I'm complaining about. Um, yeah, this kind of depends on App and their interim situation, just because they are they've been quite a bit better than Middle Tennessee, and I fear this game a little bit just because both teams are better defensively than offensively. Uh, and if you're in a situation there where you've also got an interim coach and, and blah, 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 you could end up with kind of a slog of a game, but, um, but it is new Orleans. Hopefully that means there, you know, some fans are having a good time. It's at night. So hopefully the atmosphere is decent. Uh, yeah. and, and, but if app shows up like and plays their a game, they win this one by 14, 17 points. I think it'll be fun. That's all I can ask for in these in these really really early games. Uh, watchability score, by the way, for Northern Illinois UAB. Oh wait, did we do the watchability for the New Orleans Bowl? Because uh, it should be high. Two point eight. Huh. We got to work on this system. I was making fun of you pretty hardcore last week, as I, I want to do, but this just doesn't wash out the right way. No. Uh, the Boca Bowl is a two point six. Huh. Interesting. So, uh, Boca Bowl, Northern Illinois UAB. On defense, Tuesday night, defense, uh, defense, defense. Yeah, UAB is a two and a half point favorite. Take the under. Um, not really that watchable. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, like Sutton Smith uh, for NIU. Like there are a bunch of really good defensive players in this game. But yeah, if you're just wanting to be entertained by points, yeah, not not so much. I'm I'm more okay with the watchability score on this one than others. But you've got Northern Illinois is 15th in defensive S and P plus. UAB is 27th. Northern yeah. Illinois is 115th in offensive S&P Plus, and UAB is 89th. So it's going to be a lot of running, a lot of conservative offense. NIU, actually, like once they had to open things up against Buffalo last week, um, they had a guy, Spencer Tears. He only caught 37 or 34 passes all year, but he made like four amazing grabs in the MAC title game. Um, and so maybe maybe they're like, well, screw it. Let's just throw to him a lot. And maybe that ends up being more watchable than they've been for most of the year. Uh, last one we'll do on this show. Um it is Wednesday, December 19th on ESPN, the Frisco Bowl. Frisco. Ohio and San Diego State. I'm not going to argue with the watchability on this one. It is a 1.8. Ah. Uh. So just, all right, I'm, I'm trying to be open-minded because I'm starting to understand that this is a flawed system, but <laughs> yeesh, man. I, I don't know. I'm just not engaged here. Uh Ohio runs the ball and runs the ball and runs the ball. They've got uh, an 1100 yard rusher, an 800 yard rusher and a quarterback in Nathan O'Rourke who was, who is 39 yards away from a 2000, 1000 season. That, well, okay. That's not including sacks. Cause that's the way I, I set it up. But anyway, they've got uh, two running quarterbacks, basically two really good running backs. Uh, they do not play defense, which could be good because San Diego state kind of, uh, needs you to not play defense so that they can yeah. actually move the ball. So it, it is possible here that o- Ohio sucks San Diego State into a little bit of a shootout. Um, so there's that. Um, there, there is hope for this game. Uh, I actually, if you want to just soak in yards and points, this is a much better bet than UAB and IU, even if the overall quality isn't quite as high. Mm, probably going to pass on that one. Running the ball, running the ball. Lots of running, lots of big plays. Uh, that's something. Okay, so for the next seven days, roughly we're looking at, I think, here's my certification. I I would definitely tell people to tune into the FCS semis because you're often seeing teams of a higher quality than some of these early-tier bowl games, all right? So here's my recommendation. Watch the 1 o'clock and 7 o'clock. Oh, sorry, no, actually, I'm sorry, they're on two different days. Friday night, watch the Friday night game, South Dakota State and North Dakota State. It's always fun to see a game in Fargo, yeah. all right? Then at 1 o'clock, you've got on Saturday the main Eastern Washington semi. The problem is at the same time, you can flip over and watch North Texas-Utah State. That's the low end. That's If that's <laughs> all you're going to watch, that's what I would recommend. Um, the rest of it, check it out, DVR it. I mean, hey, just slide one of those in like late January if you're jonesing for something. Um, but th- those are sort of my r- rough recommendations on the tasting menu. And then when we come back next week – uh, we'll get into the meat of the mid and upper tier bowls as we head towards the actual playoff, uh, where I think it gets a little bit, a lot bit more watchable. Watch them all. Maybe, maybe, maybe not according to the watchability rankings. Watch them all.
This is why you shouldn't trust numbers. I'll see you next week.